Hello, everyone. I'm Frank Garz with Lean Startup Company, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the show. Today's topic is how to innovate better by listening to your customers. And moderating the discussion is our own Lean Startup Company faculty member, Elliot Suzel. Our guest is entrepreneur and founder of COVID Digital, Sonali Shetty. And with that, I'll hand things off to Elliot. Hello and welcome to this week's webcast. My name is Elliot Susel, and with us today is Sonali Shetty from Cova Digital. Welcome to the show. Hey, Elliot. Glad to be here and delighted to be speaking with you. Awesome. We are going to be talking today about innovation, and this is a dangerous term. So let us define a little more clearly exactly what it is we'll be talking about. We're referring to doing something that's not business as usual, that gets us desired outcomes. And we're gonna be exploring that topic. Our agenda today is as follows. First, I wanna learn a little bit about COVID Digital. What is this company that you founded? Uh, what do you do? And, and what, is your, what was your journey? What is your story? And then from there, I wanna segue pretty naturally into the topic of innovation. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. So let's kick this thing off. Um, what is Cova Digital? <laughs> so Cova Digital is a product innovation agency that I uh, founded and bootstrapped about a decade ago. Um, and the purpose of that, you know, I had done consulting before that, have always been in technology. The purpose of that, of, of founding the company, was my observation of uh, the challenges that companies and startups face with product innovation. Uh, my founding thesis was that people are going to interact with brands primarily through products. And, and now it's a pretty obvious thing, but you know, if you think back 10 years ago, it, it was a new idea. And um, kind of interesting, we had, um, we had to educate our customers as well on what this meant. They were very accustomed to doing staff org, but, uh, you know, when a company came along and said, you know, we're, we're product innovation, and we really believe that uh, you need to be thinking in terms of product, you need to have this product mindset, that was a shift in thinking um, that we needed to help them get through. So um, when you're saying product, are we talking digital product, physical Absolutely. product? Absolutely. So digital products, um, we primarily do uh, mobile, web, IoT, uh, chatbots, machine learning. So um, that world. But our founding story was as one of the first third-party app developers on Facebook. So uh, I like to tell people, I, I like to use the Deng Xiaoping analogy of crossing the river by feeling the stones. So that's pretty much what we did. We, we always knew we wanted to be a product innovation company, but we sort of uh, pivoted and modified in uh, the best lean startup tradition huh. in terms of what that meant. Well, let me take a step back. From that even and say did you just like roll out of bed one day and say like you know what i want to do i want to start an innovation consultancy right like like what what was the first part of that that journey 
I, I sort of saw the um, shift. So I had worked in Silicon Valley previously, and I saw the shift in mindset. Social media was just sort of coming along, and Facebook had opened up their API to third-party app developers. Um, the um, Apple had just opened up the App Store, and this idea that you could now directly communicate with your customers and the um, sort of the relationship between a brand and their customers was going to fundamentally change was something I couldn't escape from. Um, and, and so I wanted to bring that not just to startups, but also to corporations and sort of um, educate them on what this change meant for them and how they needed to prepare for it, what the impact was. Um, so it, it was, uh, you know, sort of rolled out of bed and came up with this idea, but in a way it was also a culmination of a long journey of thinking about what value means to the end user. Got it. Now, you know, I, I have uh, met a number of sort of entrepreneurs that, you know, want to start their own thing. And mm -hmm. the advice I've sort of given for a consulting business is like, oh, you want to start a consulting business? Go sell the work. Because <laughs> in trying to sell the work, you talk to your customers, you learn about mm -hmm. what they want and need. And the mm -hmm. faster you can get that learning and often rejection around mm -hmm. uh, what you believed that someone might want as a consulting service and what they actually need, the faster you can get to what might actually be valuable. So um, to that end, uh, mm -hmm. talk to me a little bit. Like, so, so you're, get, you're getting started. How did you find your first couple clients? Um, first couple of clients were through, obviously, they, they knew my previous work and, and were willing to sort of engage in this new and different way. I would right. add a couple of things in terms of, you know, obviously go do the work, but I think you also have, a, have to have a very clear idea of what it is you want to bring into this world. You know, what this, the sort of, again, vision is another loaded term, but I think it's very appropriate in this uh, uh, in my experience, at least, it's been very, very foundational because there are lots of temptations to do other things, right? Um, along the way, you know, when times were tough, there, there, is, there have been lots of sort of um, temptations to do other things to get by. But you have to stick to your founding vision. I, I found that necessary. I found it necessary to sort of feed my soul but it gives you direction as well. Um, and the second thing is you have to have a differentiator. If you're doing the same thing as 10 other people are doing, what's the point, really? So I always stuck with, um, you know, having the vision, having a clear differentiator, sticking to what we, pivoting within that framework of what we wanted to do, um, and, you know, um, just being very clear. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's funny you use the word pivot and it's a dangerous, it's dangerous because that, that like means something specific, but, you mm -hmm. know, Silicon Valley has really, uh, especially the, the TV show has taken that in some directions that maybe are not the, the textbook definition, right? But I love that you're referring to vision because in this case, that's sort of exactly what you mean, where we are changing our focus based on what we've learned, but still having the same vision. 
of what we want to Absolutely, offer. absolutely. So as I told you, we started out as a third-party app developer of, uh, on Facebook and built, I want to say, over 150 apps and, and really substantial apps. And the point there was bring functionality to where your audience is. And in those days, think about 10 years ago, they were on social media, on Facebook, and we were seeing huge ROI for our customers. When that sort of changed, um, the vision was still the same. It was how do you engage with customers through digital products, but the means changed. Mm. So it was more mobile, web, um, IoT came along. Um, algorithms and machine learning came along, uh, building APIs. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I like that analogy of crossing the river because you always know your goal, but you feel the stones to figure out how you want to get across. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, um, you're now working with a variety of organizations. That's that are right. interested in innovation work, which again, we've defined as doing something that's not business as usual, that gets us some desired outcomes. Um, what, what, in your experience, are companies primarily looking for or doing wrong with their innovation plans or programs? That, that's a great question. Uh, one of the things I observe, no company says that they don't want to do innovation. So innovation is a core value for lots of organizations, startups mm. through, you know, Fortune 200 companies, right? So, um, but inevitably, especially in the larger companies, there's a conflation between uh, career risk and project risk. So oh, nobody yeah. wants to be the tall poppy whose project failed, right? Yes. Go um, be innovative, but if you fail, you're fired. Right, exactly, exactly. Take risks, you're and, fired. And I, I also think there really are three types of innovation, all of which um, are important. One is sort of this incremental innovation, it's the Kaizen way. You know, you uh, upgrade your ERP systems, you know what your end state is going to be, you know where you are, and you sort of build towards that waterfall works really well. The, that is essential. And I think IT groups have internalized that. They're very, very good at that. Okay. The second kind of innovation is sort of this disruptive incrementalism to use Clayton Christensen's uh, terminology. So that's sort of the hockey stick approach. And the best example is the iTunes store, right? So that was, it, in and of itself, it was interesting and um, new, but it also helped them build an ecosystem and have sort of a um, huge, huge impact even on selling hardware. So here was a software product that helps them impact their hardware as well. Got it. Um, and, and the third kind is sort of this radical innovation, which is a step change like Uber or Airbnb. That happens very rarely in business. It's almost non-existent in nature. Uh, and it mostly happens with startups. 
it's important, I, I think, for companies to be aware of that because you want to know what, where, you know, the proverbial two kids in a garage that are going to disrupt your industry. So you have to be aware of it, but it may not necessarily be applicable in your context. So I like to focus on the, the sort of Goldilocks, the, the middle one, the, the disruptive incrementalism, which gives you a sort of hockey stick outcome. Let so, me give you an example. Yeah, this I was about to say, so, so yes. give, me, give me an example. What, illustrate. Absolutely. So this is not as glamorous as, um, as Apple. And I've been fortunate to work with a lot of quote unquote boring companies, but it's, it's so uh, fulfilling to bring in new ideas and innovation to their world. So um, we worked with a moving and storage company. Um, now, if you think about it, moving and storage hasn't changed since the beginning of time, right? You box things, you put them up, you load them onto a truck and, you know, the truck goes. And um, our solution to them, to their problems and their desire to change things and to be innovative was to build a mobile app that uh, was really a, an organizational tool for their clients. Because the key customer insight there was that most people don't unpack once they've moved. Yeah. Um, so I still have boxes in my attic. I don't know about you, Elliot. Uh, well, I can tell you. When I last moved, I remember exclaiming afterwards, like, gosh, I probably didn't need to keep half this stuff, right? Absolutely. It stays in the box, that makes sense. Right, but you want to find that one object and you don't know where it is. All right. Now, if you think about it from the company's point of view, it, it, it's, it's an incredibly uh, interesting problem to solve. It's a one-time event. Uh, or for an activity that most people hate in an industry that's built on word of mouth, right? Mm, okay, so okay, go on. Building the product as an organizational tool helps us attack all three problems. We were able to fundamentally shift the customer's perception, right? They felt more in control. Um, um, the, the value to them extended beyond that one-time event. It's before the move, the checklist of how to pack and what sure. to pack. And beyond after the move in terms of where is my stuff. Mm. And it helped the company because it helped the brand stay um, top of mind. So their neighbor asked for a recommendation you know, here was the company that was providing value to them. Got it. Um, now, that's what I mean when with, you know, sort of hockey stick impact. Okay. Now, now I mean, did the, did the company as a result of this experience, you know, growth that was exponential? Or? They absolutely did. They were able to leapfrog their competitors and um, in an undifferentiated industry. Right. They were able to bring something radically different to their customers. Got now, it. This was several years ago. Um, and, you know, hopefully other people have, have sort of caught up. So it's a never ending process. You have to keep thinking through 
what is value and and uh, ways to uh, bring that to life. Got it. Now, big companies are generally, would you say, good at doing this kind of innovation work or bad? Um, it depends on the company, but yeah. sadly, in my experience, mostly bad. Okay. Uh, and... Because, yeah, because everyone is just so busy. It's, it's mm. hard to take time off. Yes, people do off-sites and they have these, you know, wonderful, colorful stickies um, that are a result of that. But then actually implementing something from that, it, it takes a tremendous, um, you know, you have to um, break that inertia and sort of do something different, which is, Primarily why I built a company, hopefully as an outside company, you can come in yeah. and jumpstart that. Well, you know what I heard as a pattern in what you were describing is looking internally rather than looking externally to customers. Mm -hmm. It's like, yes, no wonder you can't find a big leap if all you're doing is talking to each other. I can tell you, I've never seen an offsite come up with some spectacular new thing unless they already had that customer insight. Right? Like that true insight to what a customer wanted and needed. Absolutely. You've, you've probably heard the expression, so get out of the building. Right. Oh, right? Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. So, but on the flip side of that, sometimes, Elliot, it's, it's um, you know, CEO reads an article in HBR and he sees that Netflix implemented DevOps and had these amazing results. Right, so they sort of invented that field. But rather than copy the idea, I like people to think of, um, you know, copying the thinking behind that idea. Yeah. So Netflix's case, the the value is, you know, if they have a customer who has ten minutes, and the choice is to go read a book or watch something on Netflix, they wanted the person to have an equal immediacy. To Netflix, yep. right? So it totally makes sense for them to have, you know, uh, microservices, the whole CI/CD uh, mindset. Um, it makes a lot of sense. But if you don't have that sort of urgency, perhaps you don't need to do that. Well, let me continue that that example you gave. So um, mm -hmm. I believe it's Netflix that uses something that they created called Chaos Monkey. Mm -hmm. Chaos Absolutely. Monkey goes along and literally takes down services at random to ensure that they have built so well that it doesn't matter that one mm -hmm. of their services is essentially out, right? So to your point, not everyone should not go try and have a, a chaos monkey that they create for them, their own organization, right? Like taking down their services, right? But the idea that perhaps you wanna put some emphasis on CICD and all of those technical practices Yes, is probably a good one. So Absolutely. Like so you have to look at your context. You have to look at your customers, whether they're internal or external, and what is value to them, um, and, and really hone in on how do you deliver that value in, in sort of this impactful way. Okay, so if, if organizations are not great at this style of thinking, right, and the instincts are wrong, right, the instincts are like, get in a conference room and like hash it out until you have an answer or, or whatever, right? Rather than interfacing with customers. Um, what, what would you recommend for starting to head more in the right direction and improve? 
this is where the lean startup is uh-huh. foundational, really in this disruptive incrementalism world. Um, and let me give you a very concrete example that illustrates this. So we were working with a very large manufacturing company in their um, manufacturing IT. So this is an organization that had been very accustomed to building things and sort of tossing it across the fence um, with no uh, feedback loop or no understanding really of what their customers wanted. Feedback? Why Um, do we need to talk with the customers? We expect to buy the product. Absolutely. And here they're internal customers. So, you know, there was even less of an incentive in their mind for for them to get feedback. Um, And we were building, helping them build a mobile app, mobile product. It ended up being a um, a sort of tablet-based app for their factory floor. So this was for their... Uh, maintenance department, so think electricians. Yeah, uh, internal tech. Internal, but, you know, maintenance in a factory is an extremely important aspect because, you know, machine downtime is anathema. Very expensive. Manufacturing, right? So very, very expensive. All right. So as per usual, everyone, you know, IT was in the conference room uh, figuring out... features, so going down the build, the feature list, and the, you know, business requirements, uh, technical requirements, you know, typical waterfalls. All right. And by the way, I should interject, right? Like waterfall Mm -hmm. development is where you write all the requirements first, then you do all the design, then you build the whole thing, you test the whole thing, then you launch and like, hopefully nothing went wrong later in the process, because then you got to go back and change. Yeah. Well, things then change, right? Yeah, so your right. assumption is that your requirements are set in stone and you can then build from that. And that's how historically pretty much all IT was done. Yeah. So we were able to walk in and, and sort of convince them with executive support, which I think is a crucial, crucial element, um, to build an MVP and to build a uh, sort of a low fidelity. So we literally just built, you know, using some CSS and HTML5, just built a very low fidelity prototype. Um, I literally used an iPhone emulator to demo it to, um, to the customer group. But we wanted to bring the customers into the process. So we bring the customers in and immediately the union rep has an objection. All right. And that's when the light bulb went off because they recognized the value of building the MVP. In this case, you know, again, MVP is a term that means different things to different Dangerous. People. I didn't even dangerous, try to define dangerous. it. I didn't want to. Right. Let's just, let's just say what you mean. Anyways, go on. But sort of bringing something into the customer's hands was critical in surfacing up objections and true requirements. Yeah. And they saved a lot of eggs on their face. It would have been significant 
if they had sort of built it as they had previously planned yeah. and then at the end discovered this objection. Amazing. So well, let me interject and just say like, mm -hmm. it, building something less than the whole thing can, prof can profoundly change our understanding of what it is that we need to do, right? So in this case, you, it involved actually writing some amount of code in order to yeah. do the customer demo. And like, look, mm -hmm. you gotta meet people where they are, right? So if they think they needed to build the whole thing and you've convinced them to start with a fraction, um, you've still got a big victory. Um, often, you know, in coaching teams, I try to, to hijack before they're even at the point where they have to commit to writing code, right? So like, mm -hmm. what if we just took the mock-ups? right? And we, and we used that to go talk to the customer. Or what if we just, I don't know, talk to the customer <laughs> before we've even done mock-ups, before we've even done anything, right? But Absolutely. you got to meet organizations I, kind of where they're at. Yes, you totally do. And in this instance, we have to have something visual and something that sure. felt like it was a mobile app. Sure. Uh, but you know, it's not just big companies. I see this problem even with startups. Uh, and especially with startups. Especially with startups. So startups that have strong technical talent immediately want to jump into building something. Yeah, they sure do. Uh, they don't want to spend the time on product definition, on talking to the customers. Coding is comfortable. It's something they know how to do. So they run towards what they're comfortable doing. Yep. The flip side is when you have a startup that's not necessarily technical, but has a customer expert, it's this idea that we know what our customer wants. So all of the knowledge is in our head. Mm. We know what they want, need, and therefore we know how to build it. And if you don't mind, I can give you a quick example on that front too, where sort of this lean startup methodology really, really helped me convince the, the, the company. And it was some, it had nothing to do with the product. So we were uh, building a product for um, government, um, uh, so state, local, national government, economic development, right? Yep. So sort of a fascinating area because Outside of tourism, economic development is the only marketing function that um, governments do. And it's true across you know, local government, state, national government, and they, they spend a lot of money on that function. Mm. Great idea. We had an expert on the team who knew all about the space. I still think it's an awesome idea, but actually going through sort of, and in that case, it was just a PowerPoint, trying to get initial customers to pay mm. was an insurmountable process because oh. the, um, the, the procurement cycle is so difficult in that space that we couldn't get uh, customers to even buy into the initial stuff. So even though they loved the idea, they think it would provide value, the product itself would have been awesome. You know, these external factors like procurement really hampered adoption. So we saved a ton of time and opportunity cost just by using lean startup methodology. And, and so in that case, the thing you built that was less than the whole thing, you said was like a presentation? 
It was a presentation. Okay. It was, a, it was a presentation. You know, you hit on something earlier that I want to expand upon. And I think we've maybe even talked about it in other episodes where, you know, look, um, especially startup founders, uh, but even within large companies, people just kind of believe what they believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is so backwards to me mm-hmm. that the way work flows is some executive says, we should do this, right? Because they've got some really clear belief in their mind that it's a thing that we should go do. And the whole organization marches off and does it without collecting data to really prove that it is in fact a thing that is worth doing. And the problem is not necessarily that they're avoiding looking data at all, but that they're not actually looking at data that is a reflection of of actual behavior. Right, so they look at a market sizing that's like a vague, general way of thinking of all of the potential people that could use it, and they're like, "Yeah, that's what we're going to go explore," as opposed to running an experiment in which you see, "Aha!" Like a non-trivial percentage of the target market actually is doing some desired behavior that would tell us something is worth building, right? And so ego. I mean, it happens at startups, within large companies. It happens everywhere. And I have a favorite saying that if I were to ever get a tattoo would be my tattoo. It is data trumps emotion, Ah, right? So emotion, ego, whatever it is, they're really hypotheses. It's what we believe the market will do or what our customers will do. Let's go test it. Yep. And, And let's do it in a way that um, inexpensive where we can learn early lessons. So, you know, back to the old idea of, of failure and people having the fear of failure, we need to reframe it as learnings. So if we can test those learnings early and often, then we're so much better off and, and, you know, um, I think reframing the the test as learning is a crucial internal um, sort of shift in mindset that needs to happen. I would agree. There's this problem that is very pervasive, which is that people think they go to work to build stuff. Mm -hmm. They don't. They go to work to learn stuff. And along the way, they'll build things, right? Mm -hmm. But we're no longer, in my my opinion. We're no longer in a place where you can just sort of show up mindlessly to a knowledge worker job and just kind of do what you're told. Right? Uh, yeah. At least in the organizations I'm interested in working with, like we've, mm-hmm. we've gone way past the mm-hmm. point where that is uh, high performing behavior and what a high performing organization is doing. And I want to touch on something you said about price because mm-hmm. you indicated mm-hmm. doing something expensive. Um, and with large companies, sometimes they've got a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I actually am okay with spending a lot of money if mm-hmm. it's efficient. Mm-hmm. And I want to key in on that word because most people hear the word lean of lean mm-hmm. startup and they think that means cheap. But it doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. Right? Mm-hmm. And in this right. case, the efficiency is the, the value of the learning at the top of the equation divided by the resources it takes to have obtained that learning. And for a large company, if you've got a lot of money, sometimes it's worth spending to 
you know, get that learning in a way that is fast rather mm -hmm. than cheap. So lean doesn't mean cheap by any means. It means yep. smart. And um, it means spending your budget in as smart and responsible a way as you can. It means getting your learnings early, but maybe you have to spend the money. Maybe you, you need to hire the data scientists or you need to build the, the algorithm that's, that's, or buy the data. Those are not cheap things. Yeah. Uh, but it, it really means doing the upfront work that makes, that justifies the expenditure. Yeah. I think that's right, and I'll expand on that by saying that um, you know making a hire can be a pretty costly uh, endeavor, right? Usually there is something way less than that mm -hmm. that we can go and do, that we can we can use to learn mm -hmm. before we need to you know buy some expensive. Oh, for sure, oh for sure. But if you discover that that's you know during the initial process that you lack that talent um, and it makes sense for you to go acquire it in whatever format, whether it's hire someone or contract with someone, then that's a necessary step that can be done later on. But don't go about, you know, sort of rush and hire people upfront without discovering that you really need it. Right, right. And the, the challenge here is that everybody thinks they need it. Right, this ties back into ego. Everybody thinks they need to go do boom, 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 these expensive things um, and these time consuming things uh, and these major commitments. Mm -hmm. When, you know, let me tell you, I don't know that I've met a team where I felt like the first step should not be customer interviews, mm -hmm. which you should do with probably your existing staff and whoever you envision might be on the project in the mm -hmm. future. Do you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, oh, and customer could be internal customer. You know, if it's, uh, yeah, you know, if it's somebody that if you're building for within the company, like in my previous manufacturing uh, example, go talk to your internal customers. Uh, people, you know, the, the other objection I used to get was, well, we're B2B. You know, we sell to other companies. You're still selling to a people in those other companies. Preach on. Mm -hmm. I got a question the other day that was said, you know, uh, you know, Elliot, really interesting presentation, good, good examples. They were all B2C. Does this really even work B2B? And I, and I was baffled that I, you know, somehow the connection wasn't there, but let's explore it because I'm particularly interested in this topic. Mm -hmm. um, Lean startup in a B2B context. I think you started to dig into an area where I probably would as well, mm -hmm. which is that you're still selling to a human. Absolutely. Right? And that human has a problem that you're mm -hmm. solving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, probably if they're buying for an organization, it's not just a problem that the purchaser has, but that many people within that organization have. So talk to me a little bit about how you've applied lean startup in a B2B context. You know, that is such an important point and the distinction between the purchaser and the end user. Mm -hmm. uh, because very often, even going back to our case with the, um, 
with the economic development product, the purchaser wasn't the end user and never the twain did meet, right? Yeah. Um, the purchaser didn't understand the end user's pain point and um, the, the problem ended up being in the purchaser bucket. Mm. So it's so important to understand who those two are. Yeah. And meeting your end users, whether it's B2B or B2C or whatever it is, eventually you are solving a problem and bringing value to your customers. It is of crucial importance to understand what that value is. And the only way to understand that is to actually talk to the people who are going to be using your product. Yes. Keying back into the joke I made earlier, what, talk to the people that are ultimately going to use the product? Right. Yes. Um, right. Otherwise, you've just wasted your time. So uh, regardless of the context, um, I believe you, you, whether it's B2B, B2C, I think what happens often is we, we um, you know, in the popular media, there's all, all the examples that are used are B2C most often, you know, so they'll use Coke or they'll use Apple. These are all our representative sort of, you know, touchstones in terms of sure. service. And um, I think sometimes people switch off because they, they don't have that kind of budget. Um, they don't have the sort of marketing dollars or they don't have that sort of customer. Um, so I, again, as, as I told you, we have uh, sort of quote unquote boring customers as well as B2C. And, and I always try to learn and bring these examples off the more boring ones as well because they're equally relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Um... The, the B2B space is really interesting because I'll tell you, there seems to be this perception that all the exact same types of experiments you run in a B2C world don't work in a B2B world, right? Like you can still do a landing page test. You can still do a Wizard of Oz. You can still do a concierge. And maybe there are more barriers. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe. But to me, when there are more barriers, and the sales cycles are longer, it seems even more important to be doing lean startup style experiments to figure out before you invest some huge number of months heading in the wrong direction, trying to sell to a group that doesn't actually need the things you're trying to sell. Does that make sense? Totally does. And, and you know what, the other thing people have to realize is that consumer expectations have changed. Right, we're we're all accustomed to these auto magical experiences out in the real world. Yeah, sure. Why should you then come into work and then have a totally crappy user experience that doesn't meet your needs? Oh boy, user experience. So, right. so user experience, and I mean that both in terms of form and functionality. It's not just one or the other. So I came from the ERP world where I, I used to work for PeopleSoft and build, um, you know, financial software. And in those days, 
we didn't care about it at all because we were building B2B and what choice did people have, right? They came yeah. in and, and they would use, um, you know, whatever we had. Now, not to say that it was bad. It really was state of the art at that time. It just wasn't top of mind, right? It's not the most important thing. Right. Nobody thought about it. But in today's world where somebody on their uh, mobile app has these amazing um, auto magical experiences and then you expect them to come in and work on something that doesn't meet their need they're going to find work around sure they're going to find work around so before we go too deep in the topic of user experience because i could i think we could easily spend a full webcast on that alone mm -hmm. uh, i want to recap what we talked about today mm -hmm. and uh then close out Okay. So we have covered a ton of ground on the topic of innovation, exploring this idea of um, ways in which big companies are sometimes struggling to get the kind of outcomes they want when they want to do something that's a little different than business as usual. Mm -hmm. And um, what, what advice, if you had to give like a few quick sound bites to sort of close, what advice would you give to someone working within a large organization who's been tasked with uh, doing innovation or innovative new stuff? Um, the advice I would give and have frequently given is to make it someone's job to be thinking about it. Now, the someone doesn't have to be internal to the company. You could hire somebody else um, but someone's job to be thinking about this sort of hockey stick innovation and to keep an eye on sort of the radical disruption that may or may not be coming around in your industry right the incremental stuff is happening it is great at it let them forge ahead but it needs to be someone's job to understand the customer understand the customer journey and look for gaps and opportunities within that to create this sort of hockey stick impact. Um, and by organization, it could be a B2B, a B2C, a nonprofit, education, you name it, right? Amen. But whoever is delivering services to people, and we're all now software companies, we're all technology guys. It needs to be someone's job or someone's responsibility to understand the customer and understand value. Yes. And back to your point of, uh, of user experience, one of the things that have been, you know, I've really been thinking about is when you build, if you're building an API, what does design mean in an API-centric world? API, by the way, stands for Application Programming, programming Interface. interface. Yeah. When we built our chatbot on Slack, what was design? So design in that context was building a, a personality for the chatbot. So even, you know, use a design is, it means different things in different contexts. Yes, indeed. Well, we have covered a ton of ground today. Um, if listeners want to reach out to you uh, to find out more information or learn more about your company, where can they find you? 
We're at kovadigital.com. That's K-O-V-A digital.com. And I'm available on LinkedIn or via email, sonali at kovadigital.com. My name is Elliot Sussel, uh, E-L-L-I-O-T at leanstartup.co. If you have questions for me uh, or anything related to this topic, uh, let me know. And we will see you next time.